WDBM East Lansing. This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hello and welcome to another episode of the East Lansing Insider, a news podcast brought to you by East Lansing Info and Impact 89FM. Going to get right into things today with Dan Bowman, who's an architect and chair of the East Lansing Planning Commission. Talk about urbanism, zoning, East Lansing housing issues, and just all that kind of stuff. It's a very full pod, so we're going to get right into it, and I hope you guys enjoy. Here's Dan. I'm joined now by Daniel Bowman, who is an architect and chair of the Planning Commission. Actually got re-elected chair quite recently um dan has frequently been reported on in eli in his time as the planning commission he also worked on shaping the avenue and has just generally been a guy around east lansing paying attention to planning and zoning dan thank you for joining me and how are you i'm well thanks and um thanks for having me on as i often say i'm frequently uh I'm quite happy to talk about urbanism and architecture and good design. I, I often find that people aren't always quite ready to listen to when I when I get going, and so um, appreciate the opportunity, Andrew. Thank you for sure. So I I I wanted to bring Dan on today, and I'm building on sort of a a I I call it a a friendly rant or something uh, from Planning Commission a couple of weeks ago, but basically, Dan, what you outlined was relative to the near-term housing action plan, which is something that came from the housing study and kind of outlined certain things that the city should maybe target to improve or do or look at in housing, one of them and one of the big ones being affordability. And the the general gist of your, I guess, argument or desire <laughs> there was that the city should examine or consider looking beyond just using single family zoning in so much of the city and basically creating places where there can be accessory dwellings or duplexes or any number of just not single family homes to help the affordability overall. And so I kind of want to pass it over to you generally here because you're the architect planner and I am not. Um, So how does that, I guess what sort of limitations exist With single family zoning, I think obviously you're stuck with single families, but I guess what are some of the knock on effects of that and sort of where where East Lansing is right now with single family zoning? Sure. So I would be hard pressed to um, to give specifics about the the percentage of the city that is is exclusively zoned for single family. And typically it's detached um, zoning. Generally speaking, again, I can't speak, I, I should be able to, but I, I can't speak specifically to East Lansing where the zones are specifically, you know, single family detached. But you'll find that um, typically the those zones are overwhelmingly um, represented in, in most cities. Um, and the, so the comments were driven at the at the planning commission meeting um, based on a um, as you say the the near term action plan that um the planning staff is pulling together and, and, and to a certain degree to a reaction to um, a development that was being proposed for a piece of property um, in the northern tier and my reaction to that was that um, 
I, I, as I see it, there's, there are sufficient places um, that already are serviced by roads and utilities, sewer and so on. And, um, but they're not currently in a, in a, um, they're not organized as one sort of tidy little block that might be able to be used as, as, as a, you know, a sort of a right. development, um, you know, large, um, you know, it's sort of, there's something to be said about the, the idea that it's, you know, you're going to do this big move in the, in the Northern tier, as opposed to doing a bunch of small moves somewhere else. And in fact, actually not just somewhere else, somewhere else is right. There's a, the idea that, that you could build say, um, a 50 unit apartment building somewhere, or if if zoning permitted it, we, would there would it be would we actually be better served if we had the capability of building, say, fifty one unit apartment buildings or twenty five two unit apartment buildings right. or two unit single you know two unit family homes, and that my um, my concern well the concern I raised at the meeting is again that that, that I think we have the land the land is there and then, and frankly there are places. Within a short walk from my own home, that I think would be better served by removing some of the um, the single family detached and replacing them with these more dense, whether they're as you say, uh, duplexes or quad units, um, in order to to increase increase density and allow. My argument at the time, or my my concern, is that you know I live in a really really I think a lovely little neighborhood and an easily accessible. Um, I can easily access downtown. My, both my daughters walk to school. We were walked from the library. Um, and it would be nice if, if that were available to people who, um, to, to everybody, whether they're renters or owners. Um, and and as, so to get back to your question, one of the things that's standing in the way of that is that certainly in my neighborhood, um, it's not possible to build um, relatively dense housing. The zoning just won't permit it. Right, um, and that by and large, when when the call is made to say we call it up zoning to change the zoning so as to permit that um, more intense use, there's sometimes legitimate, but I think often um, often it's an overreaction to the idea that. Um, I don't know that the, the, the city that the neighborhood's going to be opened up to some ill-defined other, some undesirable that we're, you know, that we're just trying to keep out and ultimately keep those, the people that get kept out are the people that, um, who can't afford to live here. Yeah. Alice and I talked about this a bit last week about the general affordability issue for, it's sort of that mid market of somebody who's, you know, a young professional or, you know, a, a couple who's, early thirties with one kid kind of just can't, they can't afford a single family home in East Lansing. And then to your point, a lot of the rentals are (laughs) just, they're just tailored for and eaten up by students because that's just the way the market functions here. And I don't know that any of us can change that, (laughs) but to your point, I think it's that maybe the concern or when, you know, someone talks about you live in the Bailey neighborhood generally, correct? Yeah, Yeah. So it, is the concern, I guess, I would I would have to imagine a lot of the concern when someone says, hey, what if we open up this plot so we can build a, a quad or a duplex or some dense, you know, eight unit little apartment three story building or something is is the concern. Maybe it's like, well, I don't want those students moving in there when maybe it's not going to be students or the point is that it wouldn't be students. Um, I guess that sort of 
I think that's everyone's assumption is if you're building dense housing in East Lansing, it's going to be filled with students. Well, and I actually think that that's in all likelihood the the reality. I mean, at least in the short term, that right. the students um, and it's that's actually a conversation that I've had with Alice as well is that you know, <laughs> the the market um, forces that drive other communities are slight are significantly skewed in East Lansing based on the on the student population, and that's just a reality that we have to deal with. That in all likelihood, the new buildings will not go to um, low and moderate income folks. It might go to you know young families, um, sort of sort of upper moderate income, but the right. reality is is that the the demand, um, you know, it, it, and I you know I could hardly blame them. And, and a, um, a landlord that's going to set rents is going to set the highest rents that that are achievable, and that students by and large, either them specifically or through their parents, are capable of of um you know taking taking yeah. those 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 units the uh, again it, it would require more than just anecdotal evidence but th- my expectation would be that if these units were built and people and students whether they're students or not moved into them that would potentially free up other spaces for other people to you know say I'll just say um say the less desirable places right, right. the places that perhaps are currently occupied by students and and could would those places be freed up um, and permit your as you say your entry level family or visiting professors or um, you know young you know young families and so on to to take those places again whether as renters or as as buyers right and I think it's fair to assume that something we, I think that's this is a bit anecdotal and but but we've seen it is that students tend to head towards the newer, nicer developments. And so if you I think you're right, if if you were to build a bunch of duplexes and quads and stuff and they were all in the Bailey neighborhood and fairly near to campus, you would probably see those get eaten up by students. But to your point, there would be probably some older houses a little further away that are now a landlord sitting there going, I need to rent this and no yep. students want to live there. Yeah. I actually think, I mean, I, you're right. It's, it's anecdotal, but, but I think it's strongly um, supported by, by, if I went to downtown East Lansing and just started asking random people, Hey, do the students go to the newest housing? They'd all probably go, yeah. yeah. Well, what, what's more is that the, the, the newest housing, because it's, because it's, you know, it's expensive. It's expensive yeah. to build, and that in order to to you know start to regain the the cost of construction, by and large, you're going to have to ask for um, the highest possible rents. Now, and you know, we we there was some talk about um, at city council talked about it, and it comes up in planning commission every now and then about you know can this can um, low to moderate income housing be worked into these these schemes. And, um, again, our current zoning to my knowledge doesn't actually permit, well, market forces and current zoning won't permit that. It's, it's, it's a, an option that's workable in, um, in the downtown because there's, uh, um, incentives and trade-offs that are made available. As you know, that, that it's coming, we're telling that it's sort of that low to moderate income, um, building that's going to be built in Valley Court Park was part of a, um, a development that was, um, I can't remember if it was part of the Abbott or, or part of the, uh, the graduate, but or maybe both. I, co- I couldn't uh, exactly. tell you off the top of my head. Um, but it was, it was tied into one of those two buildings as part of the, that was the, the trade-off that was permitted. Um, that's not permitted in other parts of the, um, right. in other parts of the city. Well, and it's the, the, to your point about landlords and 
and developers are going to charge the rent they need to not only what they can get, but also if you're, hey, we spent $150,000 a quarter building this building, we need to make $150,000 a quarter in the next year to make it back, whatever. So there's, there's certain calculations going in there. And I think what's, it's kind of been unspoken a lot of the time is, it's kind of impossible in the city of East Lansing to build something and then be able to charge rents that are affordable for someone who is on a low to moderate income. So I think actually spelling out, I don't know that people have quite spelled that out clearly, but it's basically an issue of it is quite literally almost too expensive to develop in East Lansing as is currently stands to right. provide exactly. low to moderate income. You just, right. without the, the, trade-off ma- ins- the math doesn't work. Yeah. Yes. Without the trade-off incentives that, that um, permit that, um, it's, it's, it's low to moderate income, um, 50 and up and, um, and Condom- owner occupied. Condominiums, right? those, are, yeah. those, those three, um, you know, that's presumably those were determined by council to be desirable, um, uh, people that, that they were, that, that the time council wanted to encourage their, their, um, participation in, um, residency in the city. And so those three in particular were targeted as, um, uh, ways by which incentives could be offered if those difficult to capture, um, but desirable, um, what, uh, demographics were to, um, were right. to be, um, brought in or to be, you know, encouraged to be residents. Right. I think it's just take a moment here to appreciate how it's fascinating. We're having a conversation about zoning and it's turned into the the demographics of people the the <laughs> city wants living there. Oh, it's just it's fascinating how far this reaches. Well, you know, sorry, because I, I, I talked about this quite a bit last summer. It's it's actually I um I would submit to you that that if you look back, you know, you go back to post World War II suburbs, and, and this is going to you know sort of here we go. Danny's getting up on his soapbox again, <laughs> and who's going to listen? But but that I think that that's actually the when um when outright um. <laughs> Racist covenants were were made to be illegal, and as they should be. Sometime um, in the last fifty years, zoning yeah. was zoning was the tool by which people were um, continued to be segregated. Right, we we require um, relatively large lots, or we require relatively large buildings to be built on those lots. And by definition, people and again, it's not necessarily targeted at race, but 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 that keeps a certain percentage of the population from building in areas where. They can't afford the land or they can't afford to build the, the you know, to the minimum sizes. And right. so it's it, indeed zoning is as sort of um, it's absolutely tied to to public policy. Right. And looking at kind of going back to the, the building duplexes and accessory dwellings sure. and that kind of stuff. I remember it, it might have been you and it might have been somebody else who made this point. It was a while back about sort of the tailoring of amenities and how, you know, if you look at, I'll use the landmark for an example, because it's sort of the centralist, biggest, newest apartment of, that's very clearly built for students. It's, you know, where it is, how it's designed, all that stuff. I guess, is there some aspect of, could you, is there a chance of building a duplex or something kind of on the, the edge of Bailey towards Bircham and having it really just... Can you imagine stuff being built where some like it doesn't get eaten up by students to begin with? Like it can be designed in such a way, or is that just kind of uh, is that I, just the name of the game in East Lansing? You kind of got to ride through that before you. Can I get actually the, think that that's probably the case, Andrew. That I mean, and, and I'm no developer, 
Um, but my expectation is that when stuff gets built, it's not specifically built to, to attract students, but that students are, because they're reasonably mobile, right? highly mobile in some cases, they're able to make that shift year after year to a different location. Um, and and I, I again, because, because um, cost of construction is high and the need to recoup that that cost, you know, as quickly as possible is, is an important, um, factor of, of, you know, the a developers, right. you know, pro forma work, um, that, so I don't see, I don't, to answer your question, I don't know that there's a reason why, um, it, why a, a duplex, um, you know, on Bailey or in Bailey near Bircham wouldn't work. There's certainly, there's certainly, um, you know, there's what three, four story apartments all along, Bircham just west of the or east of the high school so yeah it would, would fit in sort of visually but right. i i wouldn't wouldn't guess that um that it would get you know that it wouldn't go to its students first gotcha no that makes that makes that's, sense and that's my just you know again it's like anecdotal that's my speculation Li- living here long enough no i get you <laughs> uh, and so looking ahead and looking at how things could be improved and be changed is it i guess open if you if you were to open up some of the zoning and sort of take some single family zoning and make it you know allow accessory dwellings and sort of more denser development i guess you know in, in dan bullman's east lansing what is <laughs> what is kind of the, the maybe the next five or ten years or sort of because I guess I would presume there's some desire of students come in, live in, they kind of eat up that stuff for a few years, but then some, you know, in five years time, there will be some newer other development that they're all, all flock to presumably. Um, I guess what, if, if Dan Bowman was put in charge of East Lansing zoning <laughs> for the next five to 10 years, what would Dan Bowman do to sort of, oh, that's fair address the the housing density and stuff like that so i mean i think that the the first thing we need to um to focus on and you know given given your question there is how what can we do to um simplify or encourage or um you know make it easier and perhaps less expensive to build in our downtown, right? And, and I, I've been doing a little bit of reading about this, and I've sort of got have some thoughts about it. Um, but you know, sort of the, the the core is, I think, just try to find a ways to get more people in those areas where that are either considered desirable or are um, already associated, already connected to, as it you know, so streets, sewers, and utilities, and so on. Um, as you say, you know, it, it seems to be that everybody's everybody knows what they are now, but the um. Uh, accessory, accessory dwelling units. I just think about you know the neighborhood where I live. Primarily, I'm single family detached, though there are a few duplexes that are I'm well scaled and and actually blend in really nicely. But but if if it were something where just a, simply a matter of say building a garage with a, a you know granny flat above it, an in law apartment above it, wouldn't change the appearance of the neighborhood one bit. But it would potentially open up you know additional living space for more people to to, um, you know, be participate in, in our, um, you know, sort of what, what do we call them, the near downtown neighborhoods. Right. Um, one of the ways that, that, and I think city staff had actually brought this up. Um, one of the ways that that's has been done in the past in order to, because I think the concern then is that sort of, if everybody built a, an apartment over their garage, presuming that there's a, you know, um, demand enough to, to, 
um, you know, to, to fill all those slots. You know, what, how is that any different really than just being basically building up a, um, in individual apartment units? And I, I, I don't know the legal mechanism, but I, it seems to me that somebody on staff had suggested that it can actually be tied to, um, say, somebody that's, again, in my case, an owner-occupied home could have one um, auxiliary dwelling unit associated with it. And clearly I'm not going to rent to somebody that I don't know or trust or right. get to know better. And I would right. keep an eye out, right? If there were if there were issues that arose in the middle of the night or late at night, um, you know, if whether it was a repair or if it were, there was an emergency or if there was, um, you know, things got too loud, clearly I would have immediate, you know, Those sort of reason. Still end up being you your know, neighbor. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. It's sort of, it's, you know, my neighbor and my, my renter, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that's one of the, the, the ways by which the um, neighborhoods could be, you know, density could be increased. Um, and, but without, and again, it might, you know, my, my current garage sits well behind the house. And so the impact on the street would be minimal. Right. Um, might yeah. have another car parked on the street or something. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah. you know, I've given my and thoughts that, about. I got this another conversation about city of East Lansing laws. <laughs> See, it's all it's all intertwined. We just yeah. pull on those threads, um, you know. And that's one of the things that actually that that I think is one of the potential benefits of the the um, the shaping the avenue, the form based code that um, Commissioner Williams, Commissioner Wolf, and the staff and I worked on for three years. And now it's sort of it's it's waiting it's Sorry. waiting its turn to get in front of city council sitting in the corner. Yeah, that's right. That one of the things that that's that potentially would drive was was increased density um, again, and then the, the near downtown neighborhoods. Um, I actually just touched on it. This is just one more thing that um, I I don't know. I won't claim to know much about it. I read an article or two about it, but there's a an, um, a mechanism called the land value tax which separates the tax of, uh, on a piece of property. Um, it detaches it from the building that's built and, it, and associates it more with the, with the dirt, with the property. Gotcha. And, and because ultimately, for instance, again, if I were to build an auxiliary dwelling unit on my own property, my property taxes would go up and right. And I'd, I'd have to, and you know, I'd have to find a renter because construction's expensive. Right. That, and the idea is that it, it tends to act as a disincentive for people to to improve their properties in that way because ultimately it's sort of it's a sort of a, penal, you're, you're a penalty because you're charging your yourself gonna, more money for spending some money basically exactly. that's yeah. exactly right and so the idea behind the land value tax is that that the, the value is actually something that's embedded with the property itself and that if that property the the the, the dirt were were expected to degenerate right. a certain revenue in order to um, to cover the tax that is um, charged based on its location, that you'd find that you'd get a lot more development um, on that. So I, again, I think, again, at the end of my block, there's a property that's um, on the, the southeast corner of, oh, Albert and and Bailey. It's right behind um, the, um, the it, it's one block north of the Broad Museum. Right. Uh, it's, know, it's a, it's a surface parking about. lot, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, actually think of any surface parking lot. That's the one that sort of gets in my craw the most. Um you know that that's an entirely underutilized piece of property, and it because it's you know I don't know how much people charge to to pay there if there's a sort of a monthly fee. I know that there's an hourly fee, but because the taxes associated with it are small in comparison to the buildings that are around it, it's not really expected to generate a whole lot of revenue based on you know you could park there and actually presumably still make a, a profit because the tax on the right the taxes on the the blacktop not on the versus building that's not structure. there right yeah right. And so, yeah so the idea is that it would tend to 
anecdotally again, tend to encourage people to find ways to make, to get the best use out of that, of pieces of, of property like that. And so you'd find right. that, I mean, say what you want about the landmark and, and um, the Newman lofts, that piece of property was a surface lot in our DDA, right in the smack oh, yeah. in the middle of our DDA. Right. I mean, and now it's, 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 you know, there's it's a, generating, yeah, it's generating there's tax target, revenue there's, and it's still, yeah, and exactly. And it's still, it still accommodates housing. parking, yeah. but it makes for a much better, I think a much better urban experience having the, the street activated and having people, you know, seven, eight, 10 stories up that are, um, you know, part of the street, um, I don't know, the, the street drama as well. Right. Um, we could get into a whole conversation about multi-level parking versus street parking yeah, too. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I think the you made a good point about the accessory dwellings too of the sort of, I think, again, one of the big concerns is people, if you say, you know, hey, we want to unwind the single family zoning and let people build a little denser here, you're going to get the classic, not in my backyard. Oh. And I get it. And I, I, I could understand, you know, if I, if I'd lived among students and, you know, whatever, moved, managed to move to a house, sort of single family and not living a bunch of among, among a bunch of students. Sure. And then someone said, Hey, I'm building this eight unit apartment building two properties down, or I've got an accessory dwelling. Some people might go, well, I don't want a bunch of students live. Like I got away from the students. I don't want to be back near them. But I think you made a good point about if we're just adding a duplex here or an accessory dwelling and it's somebody it's, you're going to get the same thing you do with the other rentals. Now if you're kind of governed by as good as the landlord right. is or isn't. It seems to me, I don't, don't know if you have any particular thoughts on that, but it seems like any of the kind of similar issues that you'd expect from students elsewhere in the city would be kind of the same. And the solution is the same, have good accountable landlords. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, except that, um, that, Many of the violations that are complained about are actually public safety violations. They're not necessarily having anything to do with, um, you know, just just because there's a lot of people doesn't necessarily mean, yeah, there's the litter and there's the noise. Um, But we, you know, we chose to live where we live. And, you know, sort of it does seem slightly absurd to me to move into a Big Ten college city or any college city and then to complain about those darn students who actually, you know, make make the quality of life that much better because they are here. Right, because they are providing a, that critical mass of people that support some of the businesses um, that we see all along Grand River. I, I come back to, and I, I found again during my discussions during campaigning last summer that that the rental restriction overlays was that was you know was that the the third rail of East Lansing politics. Um, there are very strong opinions about it, and and um, and it's a nuanced subject that I get I get asked questions about it, and people wanted an up or down answer. But the reality is, is that it's just it's it's much more difficult to to it, it's easy to talk about, and it's actually easy to have a discussion about it. It's it's difficult, if not impossible, to give a one word yes, I'm for, no, I'm right. against. Um, again, I know that's sort of getting in an, an area that you're not <laughs> um, that you didn't really um, plan to talk about. But but accessory dwelling units would. So I know you're familiar with the the, rent, the rental restriction overlays. The reality oh, is, yeah. is that in, I, I live in I live in one that was gen, that was established before we moved here. It prevents me from taking a border, right? right. I, I don't even have to improve my house if I had a right. spare room and wanted to rent it. I couldn't, right? So how much more restrictive can we get? Right? <laughs> the the idea yeah. of selling the idea of um, um, building accessory dwelling units in areas where rental restriction overlays are so beloved and so um, 
I mean, just so set in policy. So it, important. They got to carve it, out from a state bill to protect them. Yeah. Right, right. So it's, <laughs> so, <laughs> they did. exactly. So, you know, and, and it's, 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 you know, my, my beef with it is that sort of it's who are we protect, who are we quote unquote in the air quotes, the city, we, yeah. our, you know, and whose neighborhood is it? it's our neighborhood, right? Well, who are we? To protect our neighborhood, and who are we? Prote- what some ill-defined other are we protecting it from? That yeah, it yep, change is difficult, and it's just sort of things are def- you know sort of scary. And if we can control, um, I don't know, sort of intake or the input of people or the in- influx of people makes it a little bit easier to control that. But I, I, I think we're we're losing. Um, I think we're losing potential for something better by by trying to to hold ourselves to this. I don't even know how old sort of that single family zoning, you know, we're talking about you know, zoning can date itself back up to the 1920s. <laughs> right. right? That's so we're, we're talking about a policy that's potentially more than a hundred years old. And we're, we're stuck in this holding pattern where that's what ultimately is driving that we come right back to the beginning in that ultimately that's what's driving people wanting to build houses in the Northern tier right. because there's no place to build them. We don't we don't allow ourselves to build them in the places where it would be much more logical. Gotcha. That's my way of thinking. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, look at that coming full circle. We are <laughs> <That's> uh, <right. laughs> we are uh, we're running out of time right here. Time. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, I, Dan, I really do appreciate you taking some time out of your all. day. I know you're a busy guy, so I appreciate this. And Certainly. I really I really hope everyone listening got a little something. <laughs> it, this this covers a lot, but it it is wide ranging and something that affects us all so yeah once again andrea sort of um i, I know i tend to, to, to pull on those different threads and it's, it's something that's i'm very passionate about i'm reasonably well informed about and so thanks for the opportunity to to we're, share we're happy to have you on dan thanks for coming right. you bet take care and thanks again to dan for joining me today and discussing zoning opening up things in east lansing accessory dwelling units housing all that kind of stuff. I think it's a very fascinating conversation. And as you guys kind of heard, multifaceted, you can head off on any of a hundred different sort of threads from this stuff. So once again, I hope you guys enjoyed listening and I hope you learned something. This has been the East Lansing Insider brought to you by East Lansing Info and Impact 89 FM. My name is Andrew Graham and thank you for listening. East Lansing Insider is brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. We are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.